Hello and welcome to a special lockdown edition of Order Order, Mail Plus Radio's politics podcast with me, Simon Walters, Assistant Editor of the Daily Mail. And me, Amanda Platel, Daily Mail columnist, live from my house in North London. Coming up, Labour's health spokesman says what he would do if Boris Johnson put him in charge of sorting out COVID-19 testing. I think we've got to find a way to get testing ramped up by getting the industry in. We learn some moist secrets about the personal life of Sir Keir Starmer, who, barring a major upset, will replace Jeremy Corbyn as the Labour leader on Saturday. We also hear why the name Kiyagu Lan Yi Sentamu is coronavirus music to the ears. The bad news is that everyone is a potential victim. But the good news is that everyone is a potential solution. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google and Spotify. Or leave us a review and email us anytime at orderorder at mailplus.co.uk. So this week we've seen the emergence of all sorts of creatures into our streets from rampaging goats in North Wales to toads being given a new lease of life. And perhaps most extraordinary of all, we have this from Jeremy Hunt. It is essential that mass community testing is part of our national strategy. In order to succeed we're going to have to have a massive ramp up in testing. Well, Jeremy Hunt's been ahead of the game throughout on this coronavirus crisis. He was the one that said we should be testing and we didn't do that at the outset, Amanda. And I think what seems to have happened is that we tried a different approach, this herd immunity, and then the government was panicked into changing course and realising that we, we do need to test people in a big way. But there were no testing kits left. All the other countries in the world have bought them. And it does look like a bit of a mess, doesn't it? It certainly does, especially when you see um, countries like Germany who were really quick to flatten their curve. They did massive testing. You look at South Korea, they did massive testing, you know, not just um, the physical test, but also um, every time someone went anywhere, they had a thermometer check put on their forehead. Mm. Um, They kind of went, those other countries that have been really successful, including China, um, they all went testing, 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 because then we can tell who is got the virus, who has had the virus, who can go back to work. And we have completely messed this up. Yeah, I think this is one area, because the government has done some good things. I, I, I think we shouldn't be too harsh. I mean, for example, the, the building of this hospital in London with, with 4,000 beds is just utterly extraordinary. But it's this testing area, which, which is where they they seem to have let themselves down. And Simon, the Nightingale Hospital, as it's called after Florence Nightingale, is extraordinary. Not just the speed with which it's been built, but the fact that when you actually look at it, it's just a, like a hall. It's just, mm. uh, just as they were back in the old days when you had crisis situations but the government has definitely dropped the ball in a massive way over testing yeah and it's not it's not just the kits it's also the chemical that the reagents that, that they need um for the kits and and michael gove said that oh there wasn't enough of this reagent available then he was contradicted by a spokesman of the chemical industry so it's on both counts it's the kits and it's the chemicals and of course uh, uh, we found out that there's a, there's a company in southampton which has been selling vast numbers of kits about 17 million pounds worth to other countries 
and just one million pounds of kits to Britain. And I, I think when this is over, there's going to be inquiry into how the government handled this. And I suspect this will be at the forefront. It is going to be that, um, I fear, that silver bullet. You know, look at Germany, you know, they're recovering so much more quickly. If we take longer to get out of this, our country gets into a worse economic situation. That will go straight back to number 10. doesn't matter if Boris has got the virus. You know, that team should be looking after us with testing kits. I was told by a doctor friend of mine that they will be available three weeks ago and they're still not available. Yeah, I mean, it led it, 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 to Britain suffering the ignominy of of actually being called out by Donald Trump, who said um, well, the UK put themselves in a bit of a problem by not having enough ventilators. Hello, today I called him uh, a wonderful guy, Boris Johnson, as you know, he tested positive. And before he even said hello, he said, we need ventilators. I said, wow, that's a big statement. And we could have done without that. But there have been some positive um, aspects to uh, coronavirus. Uh, we're seeing a, a bit of a rewilding of Britain with the wildlife coming back, with the absence yeah. of traffic and cars, and um, bird life is sort of is resuming. We're all hearing the birds now where we never used to hear them before. And in um, in North Wales, in in Clondudno, um, there was an invasion of goats in the town centre. <laughs> Wild <laughs> <kidding>. goats. <laughs> I'm not kidding. They're, they're apparently great orb goats. And they, they, it was a herd of goats given to Britain by, um, the, uh, given to Queen Victoria by the Indians in the 1800s. And, and they've invaded the town centre of Clendudno, munching all the hedges. Someone said it's not so much a ghost town as a goat's town. <laughs> okay, do you want to hear a really sad story? Um, yes. I left some chocolate out because I've started eating chocolate again. It's one of the things that's happened during this, um, not having eaten it for like 25 years. And I left um, a bar of chocolate on the coffee table before I went to bed. And then when I came out this morning, there was a hole it was like swarming with ants and i thought i can't kill these little guys i mean where have you come from you're so resilient and so i did a little sugar trail out to the back um garden and you know they all just marched out it was so cool well, not an ant killed in my cottage well I mean, and but how, how have you been coping at home amanda i mean i, I the, the 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 um the main change in my life is i i've um I've heard all these people uh, warning that, you know, you're going to get terribly unfit and overweight since we can't go out. So I found myself, can you believe it, doing Pilates on the television with a lady called Annie Deadman. And I think I know where her, where her name is Deadman because it, when males do it, you end up as a dead man afterwards. It's so exhausting. Simon, how long have I known you for? 20, 30 years. Yeah, I do not believe that story. I do not believe you're in a leotard on the floor in your house doing Pilates. Mm. I just do not believe it. Give me one single Pilates move. Come on. Uh, well, I'm, I'm too. I'm, my muscles are too seized up to do one. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I've got a six pack, but I might have point naught point six percent of a six pack. Well, there's, what there's some way to go. What, what have you been doing? Uh, I'm self isolating with um, me and my cat Ted, and actually, it's the loneliness that really gets to you. You know, you just sort of long to be able to hug someone or just anyone, <laughs> and just to to have some human contact. So um, a thought, uh, shout out for all those people who are like me um, on their own.
I've started to do very bizarre things. Like last night, someone phoned me and they said, well, what's that terrible noise? And I said, oh, just hold on a second. I've got to turn the, the vacuum cleaner off. And they said, you're hoovering at nine o'clock at night. And I said, I've got hoover anxiety. I'm hoovering the house the whole time. I'm kind of cleaning things. And, and as you know, I am the least domesticated person in the whole world. But um, my mm. lovely lady who usually helps me out, i.e. does everything, um, is mm. self-isolating. And, it, you know, it, it took me half an hour to actually put the hoover together. There's so many bits. Well, Amanda, I've seen you hoover up a couple of bottles of Chardonnay, but I've never <laughs> actually seen you hoover a carpet. <laughs> Simon, I don't drink Chardonnay. I drink Chablis. You're mixing me up with some other woman. From the start of the coronavirus threat, Labour health spokesman John Ashworth has gone out of his way to avoid trying to score cheap political points. But the government's failure to get enough testing kits is testing the political consensus to its limit. John Ashworth told us what he would do if Boris asked him to sort it all out. We're in a pandemic and uh, a pandemic is a huge, immense challenge to our public services. It's a huge, immense challenge to our NHS. It's a huge, immense challenge to every government minister. We, we had a general election only at the end of last year, and I don't think we ever, ever discussed what, what we would do if we were hit by a pandemic. I get the point. You're saying that you don't want to make cheap political, political exactly. points because we're all in a crisis. I, I think we understand that. Yeah. But... There has clearly been a big problem over testing. What do you think has gone wrong here? Absolutely. So we need to be testing more. I mean, Germany's testing 500,000 a week, roughly. We're still not at the 70,000 a week that Boris Johnson promised us now 20 days ago. And there's two questions which the government haven't quite answered. If it's because there's a lack of chemicals, the so-called reagents in the, on the global markets... Why then did the chemicals industry last night say, look, you've not spoken to us. We'll make you these chemicals. Just get in touch with us. You know, mm -hmm. So I hope ministers are getting in touch with industry today to mm -hmm. sort this out. But the other question, which is still lingering and we've still not had a satisfactory answer to is, look, did we decide as a country not to scale up testing and therefore not go out and procure to to buy the kits, buy the chemicals, buy the swabs. And while there was that two-week window or 10-day window or so, well, where that was our strategy, was the rest of the world getting there before us, buying it all up. Well, and ministers need to tell us that. Well, it rather looks like there might have been a change in strategy, doesn't it? It looks like uh, initially the government wanted to achieve this so-called herd immunity, and then they were sort of panicked into changing to adopting the, the, the approach that other countries have taken, which is suppression. And in that period, we lost the chance to get the kits. Yes. Well, I mean, look, this is a new virus. So, you know, let's let's, you know, understand that, not you know, there's, uh, people are learning as we go along. But it did look like the original strategy was to hope that everybody would probably get the virus and build up a bit of immunity, a bit like when children pick up chicken pox um, uh, and then you and then they're usually safe from it. Um, but then people did the number crunching and realised that would completely overwhelm the National Health Service. So then we quickly shifted into this suppression mode. But the problem is other countries were going into this mode before we were. We just missed the boat, you think? Well, I mean, that is the worry. That is the worry. And I think given that NHS staff are all pleading for the testing to be rolled out at scale, I think ministers probably just need to offer us that bit of clarity so we can all really understand what's going on. Because while they don't do that, they're going to have articles in newspapers, 
people on uh, television, people doing uh, uh, interviews like this, questioning their strategy. So it's in their interest to get this sorted. But I suppose, I suppose one could point out, couldn't one, that, that in Germany, where they've got a lot more tests, they do have more private money in, in the health system there, don't they? They've got more private laboratories. So from that point of view, that slightly goes against Labour thinking on the health service, that, that we shouldn't have more private money. Is money. Do you think it's worth rethinking that? Well, I mean, what Germany have are many years of years and years of investment in, into their industrial base and their manufacturing base, which we haven't had that. We've offshored quite a lot in recent years. And a lot of our laboratories in the NHS have, have not been prioritised. They've not had the investment that they've needed. Now, that, I mean, that's understandable. I mean, if you think back to the general election, if I'd have come out and said, well, I'm not going to I'm going to put the money into NHS laboratories and and not into waiting lists, you'd have, you'd have all have said to me, what are you yes. talking about? So it's, it's, it's kind of understandable why we've gone that way, because uh, people have never thought that they would ever be needed on this scale before. Yes. But they yes. clearly are needed. And Germany is benefiting from the fact that a lot of the big manufacturers, uh, Roche, for example, who are involved in this are essentially on their doorstep. Uh, but even so, it's quite a, a chasm between 500,000 tests a week and, and less than 70,000 here. So ministers need to get industry in and see what can be fixed. OK, John. OK, John. Uh, Boris, Boris Johnson is calling you up this morning. He's going to say, OK, John, look, we've made a mess of this. I'm calling you in to take charge of this coronavirus crisis. What's the first three things you do? <laughs> first of all, I'd, be, I'd ask myself, is it really him? Because I don't think that, that's going to happen. But once I've got over the initial shock and surprise of that, I think we've got to find a way to get testing ramped up by getting the industry in. Look, they've, in fairness, the government, all right, they were late to it, but they put out a call to industry and firms like Airbus and Rolls-Royce came together in a consortium to build up ventilators. Why can we not be doing a similar thing with uh, uh, with testing kits? It hasn't been all bad on, on the government's, from the government's side because the creation of that extraordinary Nightingale Hospital in the east end of London with 4,000 beds, with soldiers who've got experience of building hospitals in Iraq and Afghanistan. I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? You, you must salute that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it completely, it's, it's absolutely remarkable. It is incredible. We're doing that in London. We're hoping to do it in Manchester and Birmingham. There's a similar one being done in, in Glasgow. I mean, we've got to pay tribute to everybody involved in what would have must have been the biggest logistical challenge the NHS has faced in 70 years. And you're right, we've got to pay tribute when, when things go well. I mean, we've had uh, the, the, the Prime Minister, the Health Secretary, uh, one, one or two other prominent Conservatives have, got, have gone down with this virus. Is this, is this a virus that only hits Conservatives and not Labour politicians? How are you lot getting on? <laughs> I'm okay so far. Uh, uh, our friend and colleague Angela Rayner has been struck down with it. I'm feeling okay, but I'm I'm keeping myself in my house here in Leicester. I'm not I'm not venturing and out. How's, so. how's your family? You've got a wife and child. How's your family getting? Are you doing jigsaws or or how, how you how are you all like, passing the time? I tell you something. The most stressful, exhausting thing I've ever been involved in is homeschooling an <laughs> eight-year-old and a six-year-old. In uh, uh, when I get off this call, I'm starting the, their maths lesson and just trying to get them to focus on doing their maths and English and all the rest of it. It's okay, the John. Most okay, hardest John, thing I'll, I've ever done. I'm going to help prepare you. What's se what's seven eights? <laughs> oh God, don't ask me. <laughs> seven eight seven eights is um uh, fifty six. Yeah, yeah. I'll help you out there. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if you need any help just tell them to call the daily mail we, 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 we can do sums but only up to very only up to single digits <laughs> okay then simon these podcasts are all about honesty when i was listening to that clip i 
proudly said, eight sevens are 63. <laughs> um, my hand slapped in the classroom when we were doing maths. Every time I got, you know, every time I got the, um, the answer wrong, my, my hands then, the back of my hands were more red raw than they are at the moment, having washed them out of existence. Uh, well, it, well, it clearly, that kind of physical punishment clearly had a better effect on me than you because <laughs> we had this teacher at my primary school called Mrs. Board who, who was like an old walrus and we had to stand in our short trousers reciting our times tables and if you got one wrong, you were liable to be slapped over the carbs with her ruler. First, we've had you in your lycra doing your Pilates. Now we've got you I in short trousers. I did not lycra. <laughs> now we've got you in your short trousers. Enough. The man set to become Labour leader on Saturday, Sir Keir Starmer, is a man of mystery to most people. But in a fascinating article in the left-wing magazine The New Statesman, Keir has let his veil of secrecy drop a little bit. Amongst the revelations in the article is that Keir was taught to play the violin by fat boy Slim, Norman Cook, while he was at school. The young Keir, it says, lived in a ramshackle, pebble-dashed, semi-detached house in Surrey, and his mum and dad had donkeys in the garden. Not sure what to read into that. At school, he says that he was teased for being called Keir. He was named after one of the the, the early Labour leaders. And he said, I just wish my mum and dad had called me Pete or Dave. It would have been much easier. The young Keir, when he became a lawyer, um, he had a flat in Highgate, which was above a brothel. Do you think he thought the red light was some sort of Labour, Labour logo? I don't know about that. <laughs> And it also reveals, isn't it, this, Amanda, it reveals that Keir Starmer moisturises before going to bed every night. Who he does that? not. I bet he does Jeremy not. Co- we cannot have a, a, a potential leader of the country who, who does um, moisturising before bed. No. I, I bet, well, it's, it's, it's certainly going to be a change in Jeremy Corbyn. I can't imagine he did that. <laughs> um, and also, the other thing that struck me was, it's long been rumoured that Keir, who was a bit of a looker in his, in his earlier days, was the inspiration for Mark Darcy, the lawyer in the Helling Fielding novels, uh, Bridget Jones. Um, okay, Bridget Jones's diary. I'm, I'm pulling you up on this one, Simon. I huh? am a devotee of of the books and of the movies. And and I'm sorry, but he is nothing like Mark Darcy. I mean, he just he just isn't. I mean, Mark Darcy is just this kind of witheringly gorgeous, intense, attractive, charismatic man that any woman would throw their life over for. I can't say that about Keir Starmer, even if he did end up being called Dave Starmer as he wished. Oh dear. So that's not a labour gain in your it's, household then when Keir not, takes over, I take not, it. He's not a labour lover, okay? He's not going to be a lover boy. Um, you know, he's he's quite awkward. He's incredibly stiff, but I do think that he is the best person to lead the Labour Party uh, in terms of the democracy of our country. Um, he will give Boris because he's incredibly clever. He'll give Boris a real run for his money. And, and there's one other thing that, that may not endear him to you, Amanda. He has two season tickets for Arsenal Football Club. I knew I, I hated him. They're one of your favourites, are they? I'm sorry. I knew I hated him right from the start. <laughs> you know, as, as a Spurs fan, um, you know, nothing. Red rag, OK? And how typical he choose Arsenal just because they're red. I bet he doesn't even support them. <laughs> All right, Simon, what have you dredged up for us this week for our topical tune? 
Well, there's been a whole load of songs produced about coronavirus. I've been listening to some of them, and I reckon this is my favourite of a whole lot. It's by a Ugandan musician. He's also a Ugandan MP, and his name is Kiagulanyi Sentamu. And he's produced a brilliant song called The Coronavirus Alert. And it's partly political because he's campaigning to boost health provision in Africa, He's also running for president, and he sounds a lot more musical than any of the people on our backbenches. That's all we've got time for this week. Don't forget you'll be able to listen back to this and all our other Mail Plus radio podcasts at mailplus.co.uk or via Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Join us next week for more political chat and Siren and Lisa, who's producing this, and Rob and everyone out there, just keep safe. But for now, that's all from me, Simon Walters. And from me, Amanda Platel. One, two, three. Goodbye. Goodbye. Amanda, I'm going to buy you a metronome. (laughs) Be the first thing you ever have bought me, except for pain and heartache. (laughs) 